0: So, Greg, I think when uh, we get the call from CBC Radio that we need to decline, Monday, we need to decline morning, the morning show. I don't think we should do the morning show. I think we're good with like Metro, Metro Morning. Yeah. So you know when 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 Ismaila, when he retires
1: or or oh, when, when he retires, I think we're breaking news here.
0: We well, we are. We're sort of we're we're breaking news, in terms of you know we're breaking it. We're not we're not a- announcing anything necessarily, but uh, you know we t- we need to make sure we we go for the night show. Mm-hmm. You know when when we've had enough uh, caffeine or whatever it is that uh, our bodies need to be more awake and more in vibe with chatting about music. I don't think mornings is a good fit for us.
1: <laughs> not when I'm not when I'm trying to slam out a three-year projection in a spreadsheet.
0: Yeah, that's the no. Greg, you can make up really like. That's you the know, best. Think best about everyone who in 2019 made a three-year spreadsheet uh, wasted their time.
1: That is true. <laughs> Whether you were on the got hit hard end or you benefited from the pandemic end.
0: Yeah, it was just a waste.
1: Everybody nope. in MySpace totally underprojected their numbers.
0: Absolutely. Because MySpace, I don't know if MySpace exists anymore.
1: That's true. Yeah. That's true.
0: See, Greg, mornings aren't good.
1: (laughs) No. No, this is my first coffee, literally my first
0: coffee. Yeah. So our guest today is Toronto Councillor Brad Bradford, but we're not having him on to talk about anything except uh, music in Toronto. Um, To be fair to him and to our listeners, we're not going to talk about Encampments or removing people from encampments. Housing that is, is a big, big supporter
1: yeah. of.
0: Yeah, I mean it's important to, to to you and I as as residents uh, of Toronto, uh, but we're not going to talk about that uh, on 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 the podcast when we get bread on. I just wanted to to let people uh, make people aware of that. So it's not going to be a gotcha uh conversation. But uh we are gonna well, talk about I can't about bring up music. the fact that
1: I found out that he was once a contestant on the prices right?
0: That I think you can bring up.
1: I don't that's not true. I made that up. I it was me? gonna say a contestant on American Isle or Canadian Isle, but then I thought that would be music so that would actually fit. <laughs> like we did with was it Valor?
0: Uh no, no story. No. It wasn't. It was a story. um Story. Yeah.
1: Yes, indeed. I don't come up with them often. Once a year, but when I do, oof.
0: once. Yes. Yes.
1: Good research. So, Brad,
0: so, so just to confirm, Brad Bradford has not been a contestant
1: on The Price is Right, nor, nor American on, Idol, nor Canadian or, Idol,
0: or Canadian Idol, which doesn't exist anymore. And it hasn't not. for quite some time. That's true. Yeah. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery.
2: Hi, everyone. Brad Bradford here, City Councillor for Beaches East York and the Chair of the Toronto Music Advisory Committee. And welcome to the music.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome.
0: Perfect. Awesome.
1: We're glad to have you here. Thanks, Brad, for joining us today. Really appreciate it.
2: Oh, it's great to be here with you. And uh, what an important conversation for all of us to be having right now at this critical moment as we look ahead to the weeks and months where, uh, where we're going to get back to live music.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, so this morning, uh, Ismaila Alpha asked on Twitter, uh, what he said on Twitter, so you know, it's been a while since we've all seen live music. Uh, and he asked, you know, what was the, the last show? Uh, that you've seen. So Brad, do you, do you remember prior to, um, March of 2020, what was, what was the last live music show you attended?
2: I do remember. I remember it vividly. Actually, it was uh, Danforth music hall. And it was a little band called the beaches, uh, East yeah. end and, uh, obviously constituents in the ward, uh, been a big yeah. fan of them for a number of years. And, uh, my wife, Catherine and I were, uh, were out and this was, um, I think they played three sold out shows at the Danforth Music Hall. So these were uh, the home shows and it was kind of right before lockdown. I remember if it was the end of February or early March, but we kind of locked down March 13th and it was right before that. So it was obviously a different world. Uh, They always put on a hell of a show. It was super impressive. People were loving the vibe. It was packed. The songs were great. Yeah. The sound was fantastic. And, uh, you know, that's been staying with me kind of the past 15, 16 months, just thinking about that and getting back to venues like like Danforth Music Hall and listening to folks like The Beaches Live.
0: Yeah. Greg, was that yeah. your last show as well?
1: That was that was our last show oh, as well. Right. Yeah, I got so goosebumps because all- <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> we, all, we all went
0: to the same. I, I know Greg and I went on different days. I can't remember which day I went on but uh that that was the last show as well, and I remember thinking of Covid at the show so it was it was in that that time period when it was um i don't know sweeping the nation with the world, but it was definitely I was definitely thinking about it um while yeah. while I was at that show
2: and you know what it's interesting because. Um, there was poll- polling done shortly after the pandemic started of- about how long, uh, you know, Canadians general sentiment thought we were going to be dealing with this. And uh, I-, I think it was, you know, don't quote me on the number, but let's say two thirds of Canadians thought this was going to be something we would be done and-, and dispensed with in two to three months. And uh, yeah. here we are, you know, I, it's Groundhog Day. I have, I have lost track of counting, but 15, 16 months or something into this. And it's been a long time, you know, for artists and venues and producers and promoters and festivals uh, that we've all had to go without that. So uh, we hang on to those memories, but uh, this is also a point for us to be optimistic, cast our gaze ahead and get ready to get back out there.
1: It's funny you were talking about the months because I was actually lying in bed this morning and I was counting the months and it was 16 months because today I'm going in for my final job we're in repping the conquer COVID team. And uh, yeah, it's like, you, you, you know, my son who's in his mid-20s got his second shot yesterday, I think it was. And so, you know, we're starting to see the end for all of us. Like, I, I really think it's really, you know... It, it's just so exciting. It's so, you know, live shows are coming online with ticket sales now. We, you know, we've talked about it on previous shows. Um, what, what, do you, what do you see, how do you see the rollout of live shows happening within Toronto based on, you know, the discussion you've had?
2: Well, it's it's interesting. So as the chair of the Toronto Music Advisory Committee, um, you know, we're a committee comprised of artists and producers, folks in the industry side, and, and certainly venue, you uh, Venue owners as well. And it's been, they have been disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. There's a lot of sectors that have been hit really hard. Um, but you look at live music and music as a whole, uh, it has not had the same opportunity, uh, access to revenue. They haven't been able to do live streaming the way other sort of um, sectors have been doing. Uh, they haven't got the big bailout like an in airline industry or anything like that. And so they've been hanging on. Uh, tooth and nail as we've moved through this, and, and obviously there's a lot of venues that uh, you know are no longer with us, uh, RIP, and, and won't be coming back. So uh, it's been hard. There have been government programs in place, you know, both federally and provincially that have helped. But I think the biggest thing, Greg, to answer your question, folks want clarity. They want to understand what the hell they're getting ready for, how they how they're going to do it. It's a very collaborative industry. Um, these are folks who are barn builders. They want to get it done. They want to work together, um, but they need that clarity. And I can tell you from T perspective, City of Toronto's perspective, uh, you know, we have written uh, we have written letters, we have had phone calls and meetings. Uh, I know Aaron Benjamin, Canadian Live Music Association, has been a tremendous advocate, um, just trying to understand what exactly that's going to look like. We do know that step three. Is where we're going to have live music, uh, so we're we're coming up knocking on the door of step two uh, today is I I think the 29th and I think of June and we're tomorrow. moving into that tomorrow uh, and then that means next is step three yeah. so we have we have a roadmap but when we talk about venue capacities when we talk about you know barriers or protections that need to be put in place when we talk about you know live music festivals and gathering outdoors uh, we still don't have that clarity on on what it looks like and obviously in a space in an industry like this you're working months out you know it's this is not a couple patio chairs that we can throw up on the sidewalk and and start serving dinner and pouring beers uh you got to book the agents you got to book the talent you have to have all the people and apparatus that make these shows happen and so that's the challenge there's a tremendous amount of optimism but there is still a great deal of of uncertainty right now
0: speaking of of patios brad i know uh I think a, cu- a couple of weeks ago when patios reopened uh, in Toronto, um, I think there was a pilot project of, of having uh, live music on, on those patios. I- I'm wondering if you have any, any updates on, uh, on the success uh, of those and whether that will grow across the city.
2: Well, it's a good question, Karim. And um, no updates on the success of that because we haven't successfully rolled it out yet. Uh, okay. This was a motion that I, I, uh, I mm. brought to City Council based on our conversations at, uh, at TMAC. And uh, really, we're trying to sort of bridge the gap for these, uh, these artists, these venues. But also just main street businesses, you know. Um, pandemic have, has been an opportunity for uh, government to respond much quicker than it typically does. We're taking bigger risks. We're trying new things. There's a real sort of aspirational mentality in, in the public service right now. So you see programs like Active To, Cafe To. Uh, in the fall, we will have Show Love To. We always have to have the Toronto moniker uh, at the end so that we don't forget where we are. But in any case, um, it's it's been an t- opportunity to try new things. And one of the things that, believe it or not, has not existed in the city of Toronto, in this great music city, as we like to build, uh, is the opportunity for amplified sound and live music on patios. So I, I put up my hand with my, my colleagues at TMAC and said, you know what, why don't we try this? Why don't we uh, try and create those vibrant main streets, help restore consumer confidence, bring people back outside? And uh, to my mind, there's really nothing sweeter than listening to a set and having pull a pull pint on, on a main street patio. So. We brought the motion. We've asked staff to look at what this would look like. Um, there probably wasn't going to be uh, the political support on council to do it across the entirety of the city all at once. And I know people always push and poke at Toronto, uh, you know, such an incremental space and, and we like to pilot things, but there is good reason for that. You know, you got to build the program. You got to scope it. There's a lot of different stakeholders that we have to work with and you want to do it in a way so that it's successful. I'm a big cyclist myself, and uh, I point to examples of bike lanes that haven't gone well. So there are a few instances where bike lanes go in, doesn't go well, and then they come out, and it sort of sets the whole movement back. My, My concern or my caution is that we want to make sure this program is successful. We're going to roll it out in Beaches, East York, Toronto, Danforth, and Davenport, so three parts of the city. We're going to make sure it's a tremendous success. We're going to work with artists. We're going to work with venues, our BIAs. And then we're going to build the model that hopefully we can roll out across the entire city uh, and make sure that uh, everybody's comfortable with it. And it's a huge success. So the only thing holding us up right now is the provincial emergency orders. It's uh, as you know, controversially, it has not been uh, permitted to do any sort of live music uh, concerns around, uh, you know, sort of the, the aerosol airborne component of this virus that we're battling and i'm not a public health expert i can't tell you one way or another but i take the advice of the professionals and so that's that's been something that's held live music back they uh you know we're pushing and advocating for that to be rolled back as quickly as safely uh possible and then we want to be able to flip the switch on this live music uh patio program as soon as that's ready to go
1: Okay, make sense. It's funny. It's funny because it's like I I I've been quite enjoying Jen Evans tweets every once in a while where she's like showing up in a park and a musician's just playing and people are sitting around. It's just like it's like hope.
2: You know what? And it also feels so normal, doesn't it? Like it's it there's the novelty of like, oh shit, yeah, you know, we, we haven't done that for a while, but this familiarity yes. of like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? I, I was down on Queen East the other day, uh Stome Pub there. And uh, there was a guy set up with a, you know, little portable gig amp uh, plugged in. So it was amplified, uh, playing a set. And, you know, there was a folk, uh, group of folks gathered around, listening, loving that, uh, that music. The world wasn't ending. People were still enjoying their conversations on the patio. People were walking by, but they, they were stopping and enjoying it. And uh, nice. Greg, you're, you're absolutely right. It's that hope that we see as things are starting to come back to, to the new normal and there's been a huge pent up demand for it,
0: Brad. Let, if if we could go back, you know, pre pandemic, why why isn't there um, why isn't there live music on patios? In Toronto? Well, it,
2: you know, when we brought in our uh, our amplified sound bylaw and our noise bylaw. That took many, many years of work, certainly long before my time on council. I, I got here in 2018, but uh, that was a big consolidated effort. And when you bring in a bylaw like that, talking about, um, you know, uh, amplified sound, talking about noise, we have 3 million people in this city. It's a lot of stakeholders, a lot of folks that you have to get on board. It's a lot of different industries. You know, live music and in, in amplified sound is one piece, but you're also dealing with uh, things like the construction and building industry. So, you know, and and even things like, uh, you know, gas powered blowers um, that uh, frustrate a lot of people. So it has to look at all of that. There's always the challenge of like, where do you measure the amplified sound from? How do you measure it? How far is it going to be radiating? Um, You know, you look at the decibel level on something like uh, streetcars that go through a lot of neighborhoods in Toronto. That, in fact, can be quite a bit louder than what you would find on amplified sound on a patio. But uh, but of course, we accommodate transit and streetcars. Uh, and in some circles, there's been historically less of a willingness to comp- accommodate uh, amplified sound for live music. But I think, again, we can look at other jurisdictions. We, Toronto never wants to be the first through the wall. We don't want to get a little bit bloody, but we can look down the, uh, the QEW to our friends in Hamilton. Uh, and they've been doing this for a number of years now. And the world didn't end, and I suspect that, uh, you know, Hamilton has a great music scene, and there's been a lot of people who have really enjoyed it. So w- it's taken a long time to get here, and if there is the silver lining to to all of this, it was, as I was saying earlier, it's shown government that we can do bigger things, we can be more aspirational, we can, you know, try and push the limits on things and, and see how it goes. And um, I think that's that's where we're at right now, and, and hopefully we can come up with a program that lasts.
0: Yeah. Is, is there, So I'm curious about this because, you know, until Greg mentioned it, um, you know, it seems to me, you know, we've all seen the buskers, uh, whether it's an individual or whether there's like a, a band, you know, Young Dundas or, or just on, you know, down on the beaches, even like in your neighborhood, um, where there is, you know, an impromptu band or just a band that goes and just plays or in Kensington, just are these are these licensed? Does the city tolerate what's what sort of the, the city stance on, on these pop-up concerts, so to speak?
2: Well, you know, it's it's a good question, and I, I wouldn't necessarily know the legalities of all of that. I, I understand that there's historically been busker licenses and things like that and places where this these activities are permitted, but you know, I think again. If you can do if we can do these things in a responsible, courteous, neighborly sort of way, people want it. Like people, people want this stuff. And and again, I go back to that experience yeah. on Queen Street and certainly Greg in the park. Like people gather around, they're excited about it. Young in Dundas Square, you know, you go down to Skydome, Jay's game, all the sort of busking and activity that takes place, and there's big crowds around it because people are into it. So it's just about, you know. I think sort of some common sense principles that we can put in place, be a good neighbor. And uh, you know, our bylaw officers are not looking to, to go out there and, and bust people for, you know, what I would say is pretty reasonable and healthy, vibrant sort of city, city space making activity. Um, it's, it's when it goes over the top and we've seen a lot of that during the pandemic, you know, people having huge indoor raves and parties and stuff in, in buildings downtown or, you know, major parties on the beach, for example, uh, where you got tens of thousands of people and fireworks firing off everywhere. And that's the sort of stuff that's really problematic. You know, going to the park and cracking a tall boy or something, it's its not the end of the world. I don't think that's what bylaw is really out there uh, focused on right now. And I would say the same thing. You know, this this gentleman who was playing a set on Queen Street uh, or the folks that Greg saw in the park, pretty sure they didn't uh, get hassled by, by bylaw. And we just need to use some common sense and discretion.
1: It's funny you talk about um you know cracking a, a a pint or cracking a beer at the park or whatever uh, i was i'm i'm in I'm in the alcohol space and consult with a number of different companies and uh you know we've talked about you know the the it the genie not going back in the bottle particularly around the ontario laws and one of the conversations was you can you can now, you can walk into a, a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, let's pick, right? You can walk into a Mexican restaurant, order a ready-made margarita to go, and then nobody's stopping you from stopping in the park. Well, I mean, bylaws would state that you can't, but it, it's interesting. Do, do you see that impacting sort of, you know, the you know if, if there's a, a band in the park and people are just showing up and, you know, they bring a couple of pops with them and... And enjoy i don't know or, or do you see it still being fully licensed within like i think of um is it east lynn park yep. on the danforth right i went and saw the skydiggers there they had the patio which was absolutely jammed uh, but families all over i don't know do you do you see the changing and the ev- evolution of the liquor laws impacting
2: in toronto anyway Well, I think certainly uh, I've done a lot of work with small business and and hospitality sector over the pandemic here. Also, main streets, the proverbial main streets have been hit so tremendously hard. So you saw the provincial government and that stuff goes through AGCO um, make moves to allow you to, uh, to sell alcohol and send it out the door with takeout. And, you know, I don't think that that's going back, you know, your genie in the bottle analogy is a good one. Uh, that's not, I, I can't imagine that they're going to roll that back. And it's been a lifesaver for some of these businesses, uh, even not that that's the the focus of what they're selling, but you know, Mm. they had taken so many liquor orders and had kegs and, and, you know, and goods in the fridge. Allowing them to get that out out the door while it's still fresh was really important. So I think that sort of stuff is going to be here to stay. But um, you know, we could have a conversation uh, about perhaps maybe alcohol in parks, uh, and again, doing it in a thoughtful and responsible way. I would mm-hmm. agree, uh, you know, with the mayor in this instance that probably right now without any conversations with public health and a global pandemic uh, where our bylaw officers are and police are tremendously stretched just trying to deal with anti-masker protests, uh, you know, the parties and the raves that are going on. Now is not the time to saddle them with a new licensing regime and trying to figure something like that out. Um, You know, it's a a great motion to, to, you know, get a lot of likes on Twitter, but the practicality of being in government in the city and how we actually figure that out Staff were not on board to do that at this moment in time, but yeah. I think in the future uh, it certainly warrants a conversation. Obviously, there's a lot of people who would like to enjoy, you know, a, a beverage in a park or a, a, you know, maybe outside of a busker or a show, and not need a special event permit to be able to do that, and also like pick up their garbage with them when they leave the show. Like that's, yeah. you know, we can yeah. all be very reasonable. We're all adults, uh, and so I think it's just about doing it in a thoughtful way. Figuring out the timing of when we want to do that, and then moving forward together as a city.
0: Nice, Brad. You talked earlier about um, you know venues closing that are that aren't coming back. Um, I'm wondering if TMac is doing anything to address um, the the affordability crisis we also have in the city. And it's not just affecting venues. Um, you know, yeah, this is a, a a music podcast, but you know we know that it's affecting. You know, mom and pop stores, um, it's affecting uh, the ability for uh, young creatives to, to live uh, in the city. But what, what is, is TMAC doing anything to address how some of these venues can still be in existence and, and help them with, you know, the, the massive spike we're seeing in, uh, in rental costs?
2: Yeah, it, it's it's really tough and it's a whole sort of ecosystem of costs and affordability writ large. It's never just one thing. And affordability is, you know, there, there's a housing component. Uh, you know, can artists we call ourselves a music city is this a city where artists, especially grassroots artists, can afford to live. Uh, you know, it's very, very challenging. Um, and uh, mobility, how you're getting around the city you know, um, our transit infrastructure is do we have ubiquitous all day travel, all direction that's accessible for people? You know, we've got a subway line, and that's great. But there's a lot of parts of the city that are, are much more disparate and less connected. So your question is a good one, Kareem. It's it's affordability and all of those things. And I think that this sector, you know, and the performing arts in general, um, it's been really challenging for them. Uh, and, and likely, there are still challenges ahead. That said, TMAC has done some work and this was prior to my time, but a a big win was on the tax relief piece um, because that is about livelihood and supporting venues. And, um, you know, back in 2020, um, the city council extended the creative co-location facility subclass. That's a lot of jargon, but basically what we're doing is is providing $1.7 million in property tax relief for 45 live music venues Um, Mm uh, here in the city. And that's, that's an annual tax relief subsidy that's available. Um, you know, landlords and venue, uh, venue operators work together on that application. And the idea is, and in fact, the commitment is made when you sign up for it, that that property tax relief gets passed on to, uh, to the operator, uh, with respect to the rent, if, if they are renters. So, you know, things like that, um, the city has been actively involved in, um, and actually leading the way. And and we're one of the uh, the first sort of jurisdictions in North America to bring something like that forward. We're not the first, but we're one of the first. And, uh, you know, you talk to those venue operators uh, and owners and and it's been a huge help. The challenge that Toronto has, of course, you know, it's it's both a challenge and a blessing. This is a tremendous city and everybody wants to be here. We're a magnet for talent. We're a magnet for investment. We have more development pressure than... Than anywhere else on the continent, but that obviously really comes up against existing uses, our historic venues that succumb to the pressure of a rampant development industry. So some of the conversations, you know, as as condos go up and venues shutter their doors, what can we do from a planning perspective, from a policy perspective to put in place the tools that help enshrine those uses? Um, that, that cultural heritage is, is how we describe it. Um, you know, that, uh, that will protect these venues because that's an important part of our city. Um, it's an important part of our, our cultural assets. And if we don't take steps to, to build out a framework where we can protect those, you know, uh, we're going to continue to see doors closing. So that's a big chunk of work. It's not something that the city can do on its own. We have to work in the sort of provincial policy uh, around, uh, around planning, um, to get that sort of stuff done. But those conversations are happening at, uh, at TMAC and within city planning as well. And then, and then lastly, I'd point to, um, a lot of venues have really struggled with affordability around insurance, uh, and the insurance industry who, you know, historically has not been a friend of live music venues and those pressures and lack of affordability have only, you know, been accelerated during the pandemic. Um, believe it or not, as venues are shuttered and closed, insurance costs are going up. And so, you know, yeah. again, advocacy with the province um, to, to try and say, look, this is not sustainable. Uh, and in a time when so many um, so many sectors have been devastated by this pandemic, you have some sectors and some players, and insurance certainly could be one of them, uh, where you've actually seen increase in profits because claims are down, but they're still collecting the revenue. So how can we provide a pathway that really considers the use of a live music venue, understands the, you know, the risks, um, but also provide pricing that is affordable and sustainable for these venues? That's not something certainly the city of Toronto can do uh, on its own, but we are loud and vocal advocates along with, you know, advocacy like Canadian Music Live uh, Live Music Association um, and engaging in that dialogue. It's really important.
1: And, and here I thought the short answer was Drake. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, hey, We, we have a, a spectacular new venue uh, history yep. coming Queen East and Kingston road there. And that, I think we want to talk about bright spots and opportunities yeah. for hope. I yes. mean, we don't get a lot of live music venues opening at the best of times, certainly on the back of a global pandemic and here live nation and Drake have made a historic invest, investment in a world-class facility at that 2,500 person sweet spot. And when you look at the map of venues across the city, they're really, you've got places like Danforth Music Hall, you know, I don't know, the capacity, maybe 1,200, 1,500. And then you kind of go up to say like a Budweiser stage, uh, you know, amphitheater size venue. There's not a lot in that 2,500 person space uh, located in the city, located on a transit line. And I think they're they're booking acts you know for the back end of august and september and so historic investment world-class facility great size and space for toronto and something that will be an absolute magnet and anchor for live music here in the city going forward
1: yeah it was actually i think it was our first concert we booked right cream yeah we uh for july talk talk.
0: yeah
1: oh awesome (laughs) yeah yeah very cool so as soon as i came up we're like
0: Let's go. But then I had to search history where where I've never heard of this place. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, and I didn't know, Uh, you know, I kind of got the press release on on the name and the branding and everything. And that that's kind of how I, I had found out about it. But we've worked with them uh, in the way a local counselor does uh, since I came into the office in 2018. And it had started before then. But just figuring out, you know, sort of all the planning and site plan sort of things that go into these um any any development and live music has special considerations about how people are going to move in and out of the venue how we're going to manage amplified sound sort of they've done a great job building out a vestibule on the front which will sort of contain some of that sound into uh, into the venue and you know again you're dealing with folks who are making that size of an investment in something it's going to be really good it's going to be quality you're going to have a fantastic live music experience there and uh, I think it's something that we all need to be really excited about
0: absolutely Um, Brad, what's, what's your ambition for music in Toronto? You
2: know, I think that we're all very quick to sort of identify as a, as a music city, but I, I, I think it's, it warrants doing some reflection on what that actually means. Um, Hmm. are we a city that supports artists? Are we a city that supports live music venues? Um, are we a, a city that supports the, The the industry as a whole, you know, we we see more than eight hundred and fifty million dollars that that is an economic benefit of music here in Toronto. We have 10,000 people employed in this sector, in this space. But would we would we consider ourselves a music city in, in the sense that we are actively doing things to help facilitate that in the way that we do other sectors? You know, you've got an agency like Destination Toronto that it's all about bringing tourism to the city. Uh, You know, I think the film sector does a really good job advocating and attracting investment internationally and support and subsidy. and, And they've done a great job finding a way to operate through the pandemic. I'm not sure that, you know, we could necessarily say we're where we want to be in the music sector. And so we've come a long way. There's been a lot of big wins. That tax relief program, for example, really, really is a game changer. But I think we have a lot more to do. And it's it's also that bigger question about, you know, who are we a music city for? Are we a music city for artists? Like, do artists feel like, yeah, I'm in Toronto because it's a music city? Or are they here because it's a, you know, a culmination of, of sort of talent and opportunity and people that help them perfect their craft and bring it forward? I don't know the answer to that, but I think that there's more for us to do. And if we want to really be a city for artists, a city for venues, city for music writ large, we probably need to focus on affordability. We probably Mm. need to find a way to, frankly, reduce red tape and bureaucracy. I know that that's a buzzword, but damn, it is so hard to do anything in Toronto uh, for entrepreneurs, for festivals, for events. So can we post pandemic think about what kind of policy outcomes do we actually want to achieve? And what sort of steps do we need to put in place for that to happen? How many hurdles do we need for people to jump over, hoops to go through, whatever you want to say, to be able to, you know, have a music show in Eastland Park, as Greg was talking about. It's, it's not simple. So the burden is mm. on organizers, it's on promoters, it's on artists, it's on anyone who wants to do something positive that, frankly, Torontonians would like to see. So can we provide better pathways to actually make that stuff happen, make it more affordable, make it less challenging, make it less bureaucratic? I am all for that, and you know I'm constantly looking at mm-hmm. the different silos and the different systems at the city, and trying to find a way to sort of detangle uh, all of the all of the regulations and the policies and the bylaws, which are there for good reason, but just sort of streamline mm-hmm. that process.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure, uh, Bride, we have a segment called "Lost Venues," uh, sure. where we take a ro- we take a romantic look back uh, at, uh, at venues. When we, we speak with artists, we ask them to tell us about a what, a favorite place that they've played in the past that, that no longer exists. Um, and, and maybe Brad, you're, you're a musician and, and we never knew it, but, uh, assuming that you're not, you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're busy uh, being a counselor in your area. Um, is, is there, is there a, a venue and, and a show Brad that, that you've been in in the past, uh, that you look fondly at that uh, that unfortunately this venue doesn't exist anymore.
2: You know, yes. Uh the answer is yes. Relish was uh, relish on Danforth, and now it's had two Danforth uh iterations. But the the one that was near Danforth and Woodbine, that was my neighborhood watering hole. Uh and they often had live music there. Really small mm-hmm. stuff, really small sets, but uh kind of a hole in the wall, great food. Uh, fantastic pints and always local talent uh, from the east end and across the city that would play there and it was accessible it was kind of a past the hat sort of venue and uh, and now it's a Tim hortons which uh, oh my goodness you know different uh, different sort of vibe so they, <laughs> yeah. they ended up moving down the danforth a little bit further west uh, fantastic beautiful beautiful new space much bigger and uh, obviously with with the pandemic they were just opening at precisely the wrong time, no fault of their own, but that was really sad. Um, A big part of their offering was always live music and uh, you could go there seven days a week and, and hear somebody really cool. Um, I also remember going to the mod club, um, you know, of course over the years and seeing lots Mm -hmm. of different there, Um, you know, Rico Coliseum that that's still there, but you, you think of some of the big stadium shows um, that we've been without. Uh, I remember, um, seeing Metallica at the Sky Dome and stuff growing up uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers at Scotiabank like some of the big, big touring acts that come to town and um, you know, just going without that uh, I think we're all kind of looking at um, looking online, getting ready to see um, when these shows and these acts are coming back the other interesting thing, I was listening to another podcast um, talking about how it's sort of delayed releases because like you want yeah. to release with the tour to go with it. So we've yeah. also sort of had a, a, a bit of a delay on, on new music coming forward from some of these artists, artists and acts because the touring component is so essential um, for launching records. So, you know, I, I, there's a lot of music venues that have, uh, that have suffered. There's a lot of music venues that won't be coming back after this. And, and again, I think that all of the existing challenges were there The pressure of the economy here in Toronto that made it really, really difficult for live music venues. The pandemic has accelerated and exacerbated all of those challenges, but I'm hoping I have to believe that we've missed the little things. We've missed the things that we've taken for granted. Um, you know, whether that is, uh, you know, playing sports or, you know, hugging a friend or going to a live music show. Um, yeah. we used to take that for granted, shaking a hand with somebody that you meet for the first time. And so there's this huge pent-up demand to kind of go back to that. And I think we are going to come roaring back as consumer confidence restores, as the, as the regulations lift and things open up. And I think we can be optimistic and bullish on live music in, in certainly back half of 2021 and into 2022. way.
1: Nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so one of the last questions I'd like to ask to wrap it up, to get an idea of what's in your earbuds lately? What are you listening to that people should be checking out?
2: Uh, last year Julian Taylor released uh, released a new album, uh, kind of at the start of the pandemic, and it's it's sort of a folk. Yeah, it, there it is, The Ridge, uh, on vinyl, and yeah, I mean it's. I talked to Julian about it, and for me, when I listened to it, it, it was a very different sound to some of his previous albums. And then you've got the Julian Taylor band versus Julian Taylor as the individual artist um but man that has that has gotten a lot of uh, a lot of time in the earbuds for me and it's sort of a bit nostalgic i'm sure everyone the beauty of music you you it unlocks different emotions and feelings and reflections in your life um but it's been a bit of a uh trip down nostalgia i think about or it's a, it's a road trip album like that is something i worked in edmonton one summer and i drove out there and uh i was out there for 5 months like that is, that is something that you could throw in, uh, on a long drive and listen end to end on that album. And it's, it gives you a real sense of uh, real Canadian vibe. That's what I love about that. Uh, he's also an East ender and a great guy. It's an album that's got a lot of traction. I'm also a big Arkells fan, you know, uh, like I grew up in Hamilton as well. Uh, spent some time in Westdale around Mac. Uh, I know Artel street, getting to connect with them a little bit and, uh, are enough new stuff. That Anthem vibe gets you pumped up. And uh, certainly they've been doing a ton of work in the pandemic, just connecting folks with resources and getting the word out there, using their platform to amplify the message about go get vaccinated. Um, They've been great and do a lot of great work. So the new stuff coming out from the Arkells is is really fantastic. And of course, uh, in the neighborhood, the beaches, uh, their new track right now is at number one. Uh, yeah. I think that they're doing fantastic stuff and it's, it's great to see Toronto talent, um, you know, finding its way through people's headphones and speakers, uh, not just here in the city, but across the country and around the world.
1: I want to add one. I want to add one last thing about the beaches is that I, I had the opportunity. I've seen them a number of times. In fact, my, it's funny when they were um, done with dolls back before they were the beaches, my son's band opened for them when he was like 15 or 14 or whatever at like a local public school end of year festival. That's not the story. I did have a chance. The story is that I had a chance right before the pandemic, around before the pandemic over the winter to see the beaches. I know we're talking about Toronto, but this was in Buffalo. And it was this tiny little room. I, again, I got goosebumps because it was just like there, there couldn't have been more than a couple hundred people in the room. You know, I, I, had to, I had to like lean back with my camera to take a picture because the stage was too close. Uh, yeah, they're awesome. I love them, and I think wow. they've done a fantastic job during the pandemic to continue to build the fan yeah. base and, and a relationship with their fans, so hats off to them.
0: They're awesome. They're an awesome band. Uh, Brad, we started off asking you what your last show was um, that, that you saw prior to the pandemic. Uh, we're curious if you've already purchased uh, tickets... Uh, to any upcoming shows or maybe because it's in your venue, maybe you get a lifetime pass to history. I don't know, but um, (laughs) what's, what's, what's coming up in your concert calendar? Well,
2: uh, so no, uh, no on the lifetime pass. And that, and that offer has uh, it's not on the table, nor, nor would I accept that, but uh, (laughs) I really, I'm really excited. You know, that July talk show, for example, um, that would bringing bands that size, that presence into that venue is, is really, really exciting. Um, I'm excited to kind of get back to live music and parks. And so when we okay. think of Eastland Park or when we think of Woodbine Park, which is a massive, you know, sort of outdoor venue, when we think about festivals, you know, whether that's Afrofest or OBO or all the different festivals, we have, you know, 75 plus here in the city annually. Um, those festival shows are really exciting because I think that will really send a signal when you're gathering with 10,000, 20,000 people outdoors and and the festival format gives you access to so many established and emerging artists I I am ready for that I am ready to see that happening again um you know the Arkell show at the uh Tim Hortons field uh, the old Iverwin in Hamilton uh got tickets for that uh you know very excited for for that to happen as well so um and then just getting into the pub again uh Dora Kia on on Danforth or whatever whoever's playing Uh, I love that stuff. I like spending time there and uh, just can't get back to it soon enough.
1: So what we'll do is we're going to do a follow-up once we can all get together because we normally record at a Radical Road. So we will do a part two to this and talk about where we got to. We'll meet up at Radical Road over a couple of pints with Steve and the gang there and uh, we'll carry on this conversation at at a date to be determined in the
2: future. It'd be great. Come to the East End. Lots of live music and uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic breweries as well.
0: Brad, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun and uh, very informative.
2: It's been it's been great for me, and I can't wait to be with both of you in person uh, very soon. We'll listen to some music and drink some beer. Awesome. Thank care, Brad.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, guys.